What would your life look like if you felt confident in your body and in your health habits? We believe that confidence is possible for all people. This is the Free Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Dylan Murphy, registered dietitian and owner of Free Method Nutrition. We are dedicated to empowering women to make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. Come hang with us each week as we have conversations that will inspire you to live a life of freedom. Let's dive into today's show. As some of y'all may know, I have been supplementing some of Calder's feedings with Bobby over the past four months, and we have been loving it. One of the main reasons why we chose Bobby when we knew we were going to add formula to Calder's feeding is because of their high quality ingredients and simple recipe. As the only mom-led and founded infant formula company in the U.S. with an organic European-style recipe that meets all FDA standards, they continue to set the bar as the leading clean infant formula. And they recently have received the Clean Label Project Purity Award and pesticide-free certification. This is huge. And really what this means, the Clean Label Project, it evaluates products for substances that would never be found on the product label. So things like heavy metals, pesticide residues, and plasticizers. And the fact that Bobby received this award gives me the confidence as a parent and the peace of mind knowing that what Calder is getting and ultimately what's going into his body contains all the ingredients that his body needs and nothing that it doesn't. So if you're in need of a high quality formula to feed your baby, Bobby definitely has my stamp of approval. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash Bobby, B-O-B-B-I-E to order yours today and use promo code Dylan Murphy 10 so you can get 10% off. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I'm joined by two wonderful registered dietitians, Kana and Allie. They work in a specialized eating disorder treatment center in Vancouver, Canada, and they also co-host an amazing podcast called the Let Us Eat Cake Podcast, which is dedicated to answering listener questions about nutrition and ditching diets and One thing that I love about both of them is they practice from a health at every size philosophy and really guide clients and patients they work with through the intuitive eating principles. So Hannah and Allie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yes. So if one of y'all would like to, or both of you, whatever feels right, I told y'all before we hit record, this is my first time having two guests at the same time. So it'll be fun. But yeah, if y'all want to take a minute just to introduce yourself, um, tell our listeners a little more about you. Well, we were joking before Dylan pressed record just about how it kind of needs to be one introduction. (laughs) Um, Allie and I are a total team when it comes to the work we do in eating disorders. We both work, like you said, in the provincial eating disorder treatment program here in Vancouver in Canada. I work in an inpatient setting and Allie works in a residential setting as well as having her own private practice. So we're doing all things kind of eating disorders, eating disorder recovery, and of course, weaving in intuitive eating and health and size principles all the time. So that's kind of what we do for our clinical work. And from there, we really saw the need for 
anti-diet, weight-inclusive messaging to just be so much more mainstream. And that's why we created our podcast, the Let Us Eat Cake podcast, which we were so lucky to have you as a guest on. Um, What we were recognizing was our patients were doing like such amazing work and relearning their relationship with food and their bodies. And then going back home or out of treatment to just a diet culture riddled world, essentially. Giving them the same materials and access to the education they had in treatment, help them kind of spread the message, um, and also make sure their family and friends were kind of hearing the same things and and had access mm. to more information. So that's a little yeah. bit about who we are and what we do and and why we do it. And we're so happy mm. to be here with you today. Yeah, that's so good too. About I love hearing like the why kind of behind y'all starting that podcast and. I notice that with clients that I see in the outpatient setting, like when they come back from higher level of care, there often is that kind of missing piece or it's like, okay, I've been surrounded by this great environment and now I'm back, you know, in the throes of diet culture. And I so often have to tell my clients, like, it's going to be hard. Like you think going to treatment is hard, which it is obviously, but like coming out of treatment is hard too. Cause then you're going right back into the environment that you were in before. Yeah, I always say to our clients, you know, like you've done this piece of work, like learning a new language, but you're going mm-hmm. home to a world that speaks your previous language. So yeah. try and stay like thinking in that new language and interpreting and using that le- new language as a lens to like inform choices. It's challenging when everyone around mm-hmm. you is kind of back to what's so much more familiar. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to kind of speak to that today, but just yeah. how much, you know, we can use information to challenge some of those beliefs in that new way of thinking. Yeah. Gosh, absolutely. One thing I would love to spend some time talking on is this idea of food rules. Cause I know I'm sure y'all see it with so many people you work with. I know in our practice and just in conversations that we have with people, it's super, super common for so many people out there to have just a laundry list of food rules, whether they're struggling with an eating disorder or not, whether they even realize they have issues with food or not. I think it's just so common for people to have like foods that they don't eat for like certain reasons that may feel valid, but maybe aren't actually valid. Um, So would just love to hear kind of from y'all's perspective too, maybe first, like where do you feel like these food rules that people create for themselves kind of like originate or come from? Well, I think ultimately food rules come from diet culture, right? Um, We were all (laughs) born intuitive eaters. So an intuitive eater being someone who relies on those internal cues to dictate when and what and how much to eat. And, And our bodies are designed in that way. It gives us these wonderful cues from like hunger to fullness, to cravings, to to feeling satisfied by food and and what happens. And we see this over the lifespan is that as people grow up and they get inundated by diet culture and messages that you need to change your body or foods are good or foods are bad or foods are even quote unquote healthy or unhealthy or junk. That's where those food rules come from because they suddenly create a rule that tells you, you can't trust those internal cues anymore. You now need to rely on this external set of rules to tell you what to or not to eat. So I think that's ultimately where food rules come from that we can't be trusted and we need to trust something else. Mm. And like even bigger picture comes from weight stigma, right? From like not bias that like 
you need to follow a certain set of rules to protect mm. yourself from this consequence in a world that fears differences in bodies. And, mm. you know, the reality is, is that thin bodies are privileged and they do get more opportunities. And, and there are a lot of things that are, you know, awarded to bodies based on what they show up as in the world. So understandably, people are kind of wanting or desiring to stay safe and stay acceptable or stay loved or stay, you know, any of these like misinformations that are associated with weight and bodies. And, you know, so if they have a rule book like that they can follow and like not just like a gray rule, but these really like dichotomous black and white right and wrong, pass, fail, good, bad rules that will keep them safe. Like it makes total sense that people want to follow those. Mm. I love that you brought that up because I think that's so true. If Because even just thinking of the idea of like cutting out certain food items, like why would someone want to do that? But then like you just said, it's like, because that makes them feel safe or it makes it appear like, well, maybe that's going to make my body more acceptable. Maybe that's going to you know, help me get the relationship that I'm wanting, like the deeper meaning and motivation behind it. But we all know that most times doesn't end up actually working either. And then you're still left with, you know, these food rules and an impaired relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. They originally, they seem to create safety, but that's kind of the irony of them is that mm -hmm. they actually really shrink your world because you'll see uh, over time that like every diet out there contradicts another one right yeah. so you're, you're layering on all these rules to kind of create safety and then all of a sudden you have none because there's nothing left to eat anymore and you're so overwhelmed Ali and I always like liken it to that scene in a beautiful mind where there's like that magic that chalkboard yeah equations and it's so overwhelming and that's the brain of a dieter trying to make sense of all these food rules and it, it's it's an impossible equation because there isn't actually an answer there might yeah. have been a beautiful mind i don't know about that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and i don't know if y'all see this i feel like sometimes i see clients have certain food rules and they can't even remember like why they cut that food out in the first place or like you know if i ask them like well why don't you eat that like who told you you can't have you know xyz food and it's like i actually don't remember so sometimes we're like following these rules that we don't even know why we're following well that's it like their beliefs that we have repeated mm -hmm. so many times with action that they just become fact you know yeah. so if i eat this this will happen if i include mm -hmm. this in my diet i'll lose control if i have this mm -hmm. this consequence that i'm fearing is going to be a reality there's no other option and because the beliefs feel so strong they're you know, they're, and they're repeated so often, we just accept them to be true without any investigative yeah. exploration at all, because the bigger consequence of weight change, the world mm -hmm. around you is so loudly for like really warning you against having any kind of move in that direction. Right. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that people don't want to test those beliefs. But like you're saying, like often when we start to look at them, it's like, well, do you have evidence of that? Have you yeah. looked at whether you enjoy this food or not? Like, have you given yourself an opportunity? And, you know, and of course it like takes work because when fears and beliefs are so ingrained in our, like you said, have been a part of how we formed our relationship with food for so long. Um, you know, there's a lot of defenses that we need to get through to really get to that space of exploration. Yeah. And I think what can be hard in, sometimes I find that can almost help formulate those beliefs is like, if you are restricting something, if you're avoiding something, 
when you, if you introduce it just once, depending on the situation, you may, you know, eat more than you thought or feel out of control, but it's not because of like that food or your own, like, you know, quote unquote willpower. It's like, if we restrict anything and then get access to it, it's super, super normal human reaction to be like, oh, well, this is my one chance to eat chocolate. So I need to eat the whole entire thing now or the whole thing, ice cream. And then that kind of feeds into that belief of like, see, I can't control myself around ice cream, so I shouldn't be eating ice cream. That's a total self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I love using the analogy of the slingshot. Like the further you pull it back, restrict, restrict, pull back, pull back, the further it's going to go in the other direction when you let go. And what we know about black and white rules is that they aren't sustainable. So there will be a letting go point. Yeah. So the science is clear, like the permission paradox of Mm. allowing yourself unconditional permission to eat all foods. You generally eat less of those foods overall um, because you don't have that all or nothing mentality when it comes to reintroducing them again. And then that's the thing that frustrates me and what makes diet culture so incredibly opportunistic is that that really beautiful idea of like unconditional permission means unconditional and you you may not crave that food in that same way, but then diet culture has co-opted that to be like, so let's wean you off of it. So like Mm -hmm. the way to get yourself to stop wanting ice cream is to eat it more regularly because then eventually you'll stop wanting it. And it's like, no, unconditional permission just means that you get an opportunity when you have more opportunity to express what you actually feel like to have all the different preferences, but the end goal isn't so that you stop wanting those foods. Mm-hmm. It's so that, you know, you just have so many options. You get to come to this space of actually intuitively choosing what you feel like, you know? Yeah. And like all food in a sense kind of loses its appeal. We're like, obviously you still enjoy the food, but it's not this like forbidden thing that you can't have. It's just like, yeah, I have ice cream in the freezer. Maybe I'll have some tonight and maybe I'll forget it's there for two weeks and then I'll have it again the next, like, two weeks later. And I think that idea of unconditional permission to eat can feel so scary for people, especially when you're coming from food rules and strict diets to then kind of go to the other end of the spectrum of like, okay, well now I can have any food that I want. Like, what does that look like? That feels scary. And so what, like, even for someone listening who may be kind of having those thoughts of like, oh my gosh, unconditional permission, like what in the world? Like what would be some just practical ways they can kind of start that journey away from food rules towards that unconditional permission to eat? I mean, there can be so many, there can be different ways to approach this and it it should be really individualized based on the person. Certainly one approach, I think the first thing you have to do is identify what those food rules are. The, the first thing I tell people to look for is those like, I should, or I shouldn't, or I can't. Like, that's a pretty good sign you have a food rule there. Like, I shouldn't eat ice cream to like use your example. Okay, we're seeing a food rule there. It's about ice cream. And so maybe if that feels like one that um, feels manageable to start with, it's exactly what you talked about. It's having that unconditional permission to eat. And, and maybe that looks like having a bit of ice cream every day. Maybe that looks like, um, having enough ice cream in your house that at any time you might want it, you can have it. For some people, it means buying a lot because they, they know that, uh, like if they buy a tub, that tub will be gone. Maybe it means buying two, maybe it means buying three, maybe it means mm-hmm. buying four. 
Um, another approach when people don't feel safe having it in their home is going out for it too. If that feels like a more manageable start, maybe it looks like going for ice cream at certain intervals and really practicing that habituation effect. Mm-hmm. Because we all know like <laughs> honeymoon yeah. periods come to an end, even though we don't want them to, or we believe that they might not. I think anyone who's been in a relationship or bought in a new outfit that they loved, like there does come a point where it like loses its novelty. You can still like it and still enjoy it, but like the, I need to have it every day aspect really, really weans over time. So those would probably be my practical tips for like where to start first, identify it and then figure out what feels the safest and most manageable to you and really practice that like unconditional permission to eat frequently mm. I think like even like preliminary to that you have to be eating enough so like yeah really looking at like how you're choosing to support your body with the foods that you allow at this point because no matter what skills you have and what intention and what strategies like if you're letting yourself get too hungry or you're going these really long stretches of time without eating or finding like on your very most stressful day of, of the week, that's when you decide to start to practice the skills that Hannah is speaking to. Like, mm-hmm. it's not going to be successful. And so we really want to set you up for success. And physiological hunger overrides any will or intention. And so if you're going all day, but you're not eating carbohydrates or grains, or you're, you know, you know, not eating breakfast, and you're kind of go like your hunger is building in the day, and then you're like, tonight's the night, I'm going to try ice cream it's just a physiological reality that your body is going to make up for kind of lost time and is going to, you know, eat in a way that might not, you know, reflect the intention of this practice. Like it might not be that give you the result that you're hoping for with unconditional permission. So like, Mm -hmm. I think it's, and a lot of the time what we see from clients and patients is that they're not eating anywhere near enough. And so Mm -hmm. then they blame the food. It's like, well, I tried the ice cream thing and I ate it all. And so I am Mm -hmm. someone who's addicted to ice cream or sugar or, you know, can't be trusted with this food. When in reality, like it's that they, you know, the circumstances of like ravenous hunger or just not quite getting enough or just like being in deficit made them really vulnerable in that situation. So really using nutrition initially, like eating enough. And if you're not sure what that looks like, you know, starting with some of like the basics, like all food groups and and trying to like look at like timing to keep your nutrition stable and your intake stable so that you can do that really beautiful example of, of kind of practice that Hannah was speaking about. Mm, that's so important. And wouldn't it be so interesting to see if someone was like, oh, well, I was only going to do the ice cream exposure if I could restrict throughout the day. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that would be a really good litmus test again as well to say, okay, maybe now isn't the right time to be challenging these food groups. Maybe we need to go back to the basics, like Kelly's saying, and really focus on, on eating adequately. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes starting, like food rules might not be the very starting point of someone's journey with healing their relationship with food. A lot of times it's like y'all both said, like, let's make sure you're eating enough because if you're not, that's going to make challenging these food rules much more blurry and harder. And then easy for those thoughts of like, well, if I'm going to challenge ice cream tonight, then I'm going to skip dinner to kind of make up for it. And that's defeating the purpose. (laughs) That's not like really challenging the food rule. I have so many clients that like will say to me, they'll come to me in my private practice and they're like, you know, my issue is an addiction to food and um, I'm certain I'm eating enough during the day. It's just nighttime when the clock strikes 10, Mm -hmm. all bets are off. And, but when we look at it, you know, enough to 
diet culture informed lens yeah. is really different than what our phys physical body needs. And so like, yeah. I think it's really important to be aware of how much influence we have, like in the choices we make based on what like external cues are telling us mm -hmm. and external rules versus actually like practicing the skills of tuning into our bodies. Mm. Yes. And that's a good, can be a good reminder too, for people, if they have a lot of confusion around like, do like, am I eating enough? How do I know? Like that might be when reaching out to a dietitian for support could be really helpful in your journey. Like you don't have to do it alone or, you know, buying the intuitive eating book, like finding ways to kind of bring some other support into your journey. Cause it can be so confusing. Diet culture can show up in such sneaky ways where maybe you genuinely think you are eating enough. And then you realize like, oh, wow, I am nowhere near eating enough, but I thought I was doing something right. Like I thought I was eating enough. Well, that's just, that's just it. And that, that comes yeah. back to even more food rules, right? Like we so often think of like food rules in terms of like specific foods being like foods that are good and bad, but then there's this whole set of rules around like how frequently I should eat, what, what portions of food I should eat, what food groups are, are good versus bad. And it might not be that you restrict something entirely, but you just might restrict like the portions or the frequency that you eat them as well. And I think that goes back to like the foundations of normalizing and eating adequately. Yeah. One thing that I find super helpful too in this, because I feel like most people don't just have like one food rule. Like it's often, you know, lots of different food items and other, like what you just brought up of like, it may not be food items. It might be like time of day that you have to stop eating or what you can have at a meal. And I find for clients, you know, identifying like y'all mentioned and, and even ranking those, like we call it like a food hierarchy of like what maybe feels like scary. Like it's a fear food or, you know, a food rule, but it's, maybe not as scary as the ice cream and maybe let's start with eating breakfast. Maybe having breakfast is something that's like a food rule, like, Oh, I don't eat till noon. Maybe let's start there and then build up that confidence to then challenge something that feels scarier. Um, cause it, like we mentioned, like it can feel so overwhelming to go from, I have all these food rules to now all of a sudden I don't. So knowing like you can start with something that feel scary, but maybe not quite as scary as, you know, the ice cream or French fries or something like that. Yeah. Like build up your like self-confidence and your abilities to do this with things that feel a bit more manageable. But like, also the thing that I typically observe is that we end up not needing to even get anywhere near the list, right? Because yeah. once you've had like a few examples and it's starting to feel a bit more manageable and you try different things, like the rules maybe take on a different meaning because, mm -hmm. you know, you see like, well, if it wasn't true for this food and it yes. actually wasn't true for this food, and then it also wasn't true for this food, like, you know, what food do I think it is true for, you know? And it, and mm -hmm. even that itself, because I think sometimes clients will be like, I have 82 foods on this yeah. list. Like, <laughs> will we be here for three yeah. years? You like, know? how long is this going to take? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's such a good point where, I feel like one or two foods, maybe more, you know, it depends on the person, but like you try a few and then you're like, Oh, like, okay. If my worst, like whatever that like worst case scenario I was telling myself was going to happen, didn't happen with ice cream, then it's probably not going to happen if I eat a potato with my dinner either. And then, yeah, you don't have to go through each single item on the list years and years later. Right. 
Um, well, so where, so I know Allie, you said you have a private practice. Where can people find y'all if they want to learn more about y'all? I guess working with y'all, it's not, I guess, Allie, they can work with you, but what, um, where can people find y'all? Where can they find your podcast? Um, if they want to learn more about y'all. So we have an amazing website that you can go check out. It's letuseatcakepodcast.com that will kind of give you access to all of our episodes. It'll also let you know kind of where you can find them as well. They're anywhere you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple podcasts, all the regular spots. We're on Instagram as well at eatcakepod. And then we also both have individual Instagrams from there. So Allie, the dietitian and Hannah dot dietitian. So if you <laughs> want to get individually with one of us, that's, that's probably the best way. Awesome. And one question I like to ask all of our guests as we're wrapping up. So I'd love to hear this for both of y'all. Um, what is your favorite food memory? And I think this question is even like extra applicable with what we've been talking about around like food fears. Cause I think that can kind of, you know, taint our, our like the fun about food and the memories that come with food. So what is a favorite food memory that y'all have? Well, one that like literally just popped my mind, but I think it kind of actually applies to like the unconditional permission piece as well as um, in the before times, COVID before times. I mean, one thing I'll say is that as someone who eats incredibly intuitively, I have so many amazing memories with food, which yeah. I'm so fortunate <laughs> about. Um, but my mom and I did a trip um, for two weeks through the Netherlands together. My mom's family lineage is Dutch. Um, and I am like a I've many times been asked the question about like desert island food and cheese would be it. Like cheese to me is one of the most perfect specimens there can be found, like in all yes. of its beautiful forms. But um, in the Netherlands are very Dutch are very known for their cheese. And my mom and I did this like cheese and wine boat tour thing where oh. we had so many different cheeses. And the thing that makes me laugh so hard is we had like the best time. Like we both love cheese. We had the most amazing time. We ate so much cheese and we had this amazing experience. But the next day our stomachs did not feel as good. And I literally like for months afterwards was like, I simply cannot see cheese in the same way. And so like, I think it's a good example. Like food freedom mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's the exact same thing every day. We can have preferences and those seasons of enjoying things can change. I mean, being able to be free to enjoy food in such an amazing environment and in such an incredible way, like feel really fortunate for that. But also like great example of like, even with unconditional permission, sometimes you, your preferences change. So yeah, um, I think it's a good example. <laughs> mm. Gosh, that sounds so fun. <laughs> it was. Laughing because this was this was our put put them on the spot and have them answer the question differently and I'm like oh no she took mine I have a bit of a twist on it um, so I got married this summer and part of our wedding was that we had tons of those like individual bags of cheesies because uh, we are a cheesy family and we love a good Hawkins cheesy love Cheetos too but these are the type that we have. We went on a sailing trip after and we had all these leftover cheesies and we ate cheesies every single day, which is like one of our favorite foods. And yes. so we also got to that point near the end where like the fresh food on the boat was dwindling <laughs> and they were just cheesies. And it was like, I actually never thought the day was going to come where I didn't want to look at another bag. And it did. And I was like, <laughs> yes. I'm on vacation and yet I'm having this like beautiful intuitive eating <laughs> Uh, but well, then I remember we, the like, 
moral of the story is that both of us have regained our love for cheesies and for cheese so like we're not saying that as an example of how to wean yourself off of it we're just yes there's times where your preferences change because I realized yeah. that I just read. Oh, and for me was when I wanted to see them again. And I was like, oh, the time is back. And I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. it. And it was just as delicious as I remembered. And I was like, oh, great. Happy to be yes. back. Look at uh, the evolution of food over time. You don't have to have the same thing <laughs> all the time. And it always is changing. I feel. And I think I love that y'all brought up both of those because that's such a good example too of like preferences versus like the food rules where like, you know, y'all went, however long it was without having cheese but it wasn't because you were like restricting it or felt guilty because of how much you ate it was just like I'm a little burnt out on that like I'm gonna need a break and then when the time is right I'll have it again like I think that's great and also now I'm like I need to go eat something with cheese now that we've talked about it (laughs) I mean like just on that like yeah it's not that we say like you can't ever have a preference or like an allergy or an intolerance yeah for sure you know those are really different situations because the consequence associated isn't moral right like it's Mm -hmm. not like I'm a terrible person or this impacts my life or my happiness and that's usually how I help distinguish between but like yeah you're allowed to have a preference and of course like allergies or you know yeah Yes. You did an amazing interview with Alexis Connison where she was talking mm-hmm. about her book, um, Anti-Diet Revolution. And she was talking about this idea between like food rules and preferences and like really mm-hmm. way to distinguish between the two is like this approaching foods that you might be trying for the first time, like, and like with a, with a focus of play and like having that curiosity and like approaching it, like you've never eaten the food before. So if you have all these beliefs or food rules, or maybe some fears around eating it, trying to approach the food, like this is the first time you've ever eaten it and you're like, Mm -hmm. describe it to someone else. So you're saying like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And, and really kind of approaching it like you never have before so that you can get information without like that filter or lens of diet culture mm-hmm. telling you like you're not going to like it or you're going to like it too much or it's bad or it's good so I really loved that and yeah I like it's like you're not going in with any bias about the food it's just it makes me think of mindful eating too like being very present at the eating experience like you're eating it for the first time and then you may find that you really like it or you may find I see that sometimes with clients that like you don't like it as much as you thought you would and then that's okay. You don't really have to eat it, but at least it's not this like fear anymore. Well, thank you to both of y'all for taking time for this episode and this conversation. Um, I think it's one that is super important to have. Um, so thank y'all both for your time. Thanks for having us, Dylan. Thanks so much for joining today's episode on the free method podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review that helps others discover this message of freedom. Share this with your friends and make sure you tag us on Instagram at free method nutrition. And if you're ready to start your own journey to freedom, I'd love to offer you a free call to chat with me about your health goals. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call to schedule yours. We will see you in the next episode.